Welcome to the History of the Bible. Here we will look to the Bible and explore the history of God's story. From the perspective that the Bible is absolute truth with events that actually happen with people that actually live. Never measuring what the Bible says and comparing it to man's theories, but always putting the theories under what the Bible says as truth. Come join us in the History of the Bible podcast. Episode 6, The Promise. This episode's reading will come from chapters 15 through 19 in Genesis. After winning the battle against the four kings, Abram begins to wrestle with God. At this point, it's been just about 10 years since the promise that Abram would have a child to call his own, but yet he still had no one born to him in Sarai. In Genesis 15 verse 2, Abram asks God if his inheritance is meant to go to Eliezer of Damascus. Because in those days, when a master had no children, they would leave it to either their chief servant or the servant that the master had adopted. In this case, Eliezer was Abram's trusted servant that would inherit everything that he had. But God reminds Abram that a child will come from him that will inherit all of his goods. With that, God takes Abram outside of his tent and points to the stars and says that his descendants will be the amount of the stars in the heavens. And with that, Abram believes God, and it was accounted righteous for him. God then promises that the land that he is living in will one day be his inheritance as well. But Abram wondered how he would know that the land of Canaan would one day be his. This is where it gets interesting. God tells Abram to gather together a three-year-old heifer, which is a young female cow that has not born a calf yet, a three-year-old female goat, a three-year-old ram, a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. Once he has gathered all these birds and animals together, he cuts the animals in half down the middle, but the birds he didn't cut in half. He placed each one on the opposite side of each other. After doing so, Abram created two lines facing each other with one side of the animal to the left and the other side to the right. Then he weighed it, and whenever the vultures tried to come down to eat the animals, Abram would drive them away, and then a deep sleep fell on Abram. In those days, whenever a covenant about land was made, the two parties would gather animals and cut them in half, just like Abram did, and walk in between them saying, the one who breaks this covenant be like these animals. It is thought that in other ancient traditions, this type of covenant was done when the land was involved, and it was done when the receiver of the land showed loyalty to the giver, or the master, through the military service and loyalty. Or in Abram's case, when he trusted God in what he said. What's interesting is that this was just after the battle with the four kings, that God chooses to do this type of land covenant with Abram. When God makes this covenant, he isn't only just promising the land to Abram, he's also promising it to Abram's descendants. After watching the animals, when the sun was beginning to set, Abram fell into a deep sleep. The word for deep sleep here means divine revelation. At this point, he began to see a vision in which he was horrified and a great darkness fell over him. And God spoke to Abram about his descendants. In Genesis 15, verse 13, it says that Abram's descendants would be strangers in the land that is not theirs and will serve and be oppressed by them for 400 years. A side note that will be addressed in another episode is God tells Abram that his descendants will serve and be oppressed for 400 years. 
However, in Exodus 12, verse 40, it says that the people of Israel lived in Egypt for 430 years. On top of that, the actual time that the Israelites spent in Egypt was 215 years. So which one was it? It's actually all of them. Instead of thinking that Moses was rounding to the number 400, each date can be connected to an event. From the time that Abram left Haran to the time that the Israelites left Egypt was 430 years. When Moses refers to this amount of time, he is including Abram in this date from when he went down to Egypt and became a stranger there as well as in Canaan. The other date of 400 years is from the time that Isaac is mocked and persecuted by Ishmael at the age of 5. The 215 years is based on the time that Jacob went down to Egypt to when the Israelites would leave. There will be more on this in a later episode. After God told Abram about his descendants and their future, God shows up as a smoking firepot and a flaming torch passing through the pieces of the animals. The smoking firepot is thought to have been almost like a portable oven or a firepot that could be moved around with the shepherds. It was about the size of a beehive, two or three feet in diameter. The flaming torch can be translated as lapid which is the same word used in Exodus 20 verse 18 to describe lightning flashes. Throughout the scripture, God is referred to similarly as the torch, the pillar of fire, and the lamp in the tabernacle to represent that God was there. In this type of land covenant, usually two or more people would walk through the pieces of animals. But in this case, it was only God that went through and Abram just observed. This means that the fulfillment of the covenant was solely placed on God himself. There is nothing that Abram could do or not do that would break the covenant that was between him and God. Now there have been many suggestions of what these two objects could mean. What was the point of God using these two items? Some have suggested that the oven and its smoke was a symbol of the Israelites in Egypt. Or it just meant judgment and destruction. The torch is mostly seen as a symbol of God and his presence. Many see that the furnace and the torch is a picture of what is to come in the future to Abram's descendants, seeing that the covenant was given right after God had promised the land to Abram and his descendants. The two items may represent the Israelites leaving Egypt, being led by God going to the promised land. The land that God promised to Abram was from the Nile River in Egypt, to Lebanon, and from the Euphrates River to the Mediterranean Sea. Today, the state of Israel only possesses a fraction of this. Now Sarai, Abram's wife, was barren. Culturally, it was shameful for a woman to not have any children, and based on culture in those times, if a woman wasn't able to have children, she would offer one of her servants to their husbands to have children in their place. In Genesis 16, verse 2, it says that Sarai urged Abram to have children with her servant so that she may obtain children through her. Now it has been mentioned by some scholars that Abram and Sarah got into an argument saying that it was not Sarai's fault that they had no children, but Abram's. And to prove a point, Sarai wants Abram to sleep with her servant to see if it was her or Abram. Although it doesn't mention this in the Bible, Sarai's servant is given to Abram as a wife. After 10 years of living in Canaan, Sarai tells Abram to take Hagar, her Egyptian maidservant, as his wife and have children through her. Whether it was to prove a point or because the couple were getting impatient waiting for God, 
Abram agrees to this, and a son named Ishmael is born out of the union. Because of the child, Hagar looked at Sarai in contempt, and because of the contempt from Hagar, Sarai treated her harshly, so much so that Hagar ran away. In her running away, God met Hagar at a spring in the middle of the wilderness on the way to Shur, which is just east of Egypt. Most likely when she was fleeing Sarai, she was on her way back to Egypt, where she was from. God told her to return to Sarai and submit herself to her. And after telling her to submit herself to Sarai, God tells Hagar that he will multiply the descendants of her son beyond count and that he will be a wild man that is against everyone and everyone will be against him. Therefore Hagar returns and at 86 years old she bore Abram a son and he named him Ishmael. It wasn't for another 13 years before Abram hears from God again. At the age of 99, God speaks to Abram again and reminds him that he will have a child and his descendants will be numerous. Only this time, God does something different. He begins by changing the name of Abram, which means high father, to Abraham, meaning the father of many nations. God also promises that as a father of many nations, kings will come from him and that he will be their God in the promised land. With that, God commands Abraham to keep his covenant through the physical act of circumcising every male that is either born or purchased into his household. Now, circumcision was not a new thing. Egypt and most of the Mesopotamian region was already doing it. The thing that made it different this time with Abraham and his descendants was that God had all the males be circumcised on the eighth day after being born. You see, most cultures did circumcision as a rite of passage from being a boy into becoming a man. Or it was part of a ritual that was done before the man got married. Talk about a crazy bachelor's party. This just might be a picture of God and the covenant that he made with Abraham. In the culture at the time, circumcision was done when the man had earned it, in a sense, by becoming a man or getting married. For Abraham's descendants, when a male child was circumcised on the eighth day, he had not yet earned anything whatsoever. Yet he was grafted into the covenant with God not having to do anything just by being a descendant of Abraham was enough. Therefore the male child was within the covenant not because of what he had done, but because of who he was, a child of Abraham. Abraham's descendants continue circumcising every male child a lifelong sign on their body that those of the line of Abraham were in covenant with and in God. Circumcision was so important that if any male who was not circumcised, they would be cut off from his people and broken and put outside of the covenant between God and Abraham and his descendants. So Abraham at 99 years old was circumcised with his son Ishmael who was 13. Although it wasn't only Abraham that got his name changed, his wife did as well. Sarai, meaning my princess, was changed to Sarah, which means the mother of nations. This is the first time that God says that his promise will be fulfilled through his wife Sarah, rather than just through a son that would be born to him. However, Abraham laughs at this and doubts that an old man like himself and his wife, who was 90 at the time, would have a child. With doubt in his heart, Abraham asked that through Ishmael that the promise would be fulfilled. And although God says that he will bless Ishmael with 12 sons, his promise will be fulfilled through Sarah, bearing a son that would be named Isaac, meaning he laughs. A name that is given to him because of the reactions of both Abraham and Sarah. 
From this encounter that Abraham had with God, God gives him a time frame of one year before Sarah will bear a child. Not only did God give this promise just to Abraham, this time God would give this promise to Sarah as well. As Abraham was relaxing in the shade of a tent during the heat of the day, he saw three men heading towards him. In Genesis 18 verse 2, it says that when Abraham saw them, he got up and ran towards them. This was not a normal greeting at all in the time period. In the culture that Abraham lived in, the host would rise and wait for the person or people to walk towards him. The type of welcoming that Abraham gave them was that of royalty or deity. These three guests of Abraham were not your typical guests. As Abraham approaches the three men, he calls them Lord and invites them into his home for a great dinner. Some scholars believe that Abraham was unaware of who these men were, while other scholars believe that he knew exactly who they were. Many say that of these three men were God himself, or Jesus, and two angels. In Genesis 18 verse 1, it says that the Lord, or Yahweh, appeared to Abraham and throughout the time that the three men were with Abraham, it says that the Lord spoke to Abraham and Sarah. Many scholars refer to this type of appearance as theophany, meaning the appearance of God in Greek, or Christophany, meaning the appearance of Christ. This could very well be Jesus pre-incarnated and man on earth before he became a baby through Mary giving birth to him. Based on the greeting that Abraham gave the three men, he must have known that it was God coming to visit him. Abraham already knew who God was, as he had already encountered God four to five other times. Therefore, from his tent, Abraham must have recognized him and ran to greet him. Abraham then shows the three men great hospitality by preparing a meal for them as well as a calf to eat. If Abraham was able to prepare a whole calf, they must have stayed for a while. While sitting down enjoying the meal, the Lord asked Abraham where Sarah was, to which he replied, in the tent. The Lord then gives the promise within hearing of Sarah, that within a year Sarah would have a child. However, Sarah, just like Abraham, laughed in her heart, because both her and her husband were well advanced in age, and she was past the years of bearing a child. But the Lord knows the heart, and he heard Sarah laugh and called her out on it, to which Sarah denied laughing. God was personally involved in the life of Abraham. In James 2 verse 23 in the New Testament, it says that Abraham was a friend of God. Therefore, when Abraham got up to send his guest on their way by walking them out, the Lord made known to Abraham his plans. Looking towards the two cities in the plain of Jordan, the Lord explained to Abraham that because of the outcry of sin against Sodom and Gomorrah, he was there to see if their sin was in accordance with the cry. At this point, the two men that were with God continued their journey to Sodom and Gomorrah, but Abraham stood still and drew closer to the Lord to speak to him. In this conversation, the fact that Abraham was a friend of God becomes evident, because Abraham knew the heart of the Father and begins to intercede for the cities of the Jordan Valley. Abraham asked if he would destroy the cities, even though there were righteous people in it, killing the righteous and unrighteous together, which the Lord says that he will not do. Abraham then begins asking the Lord about how many righteous people would there need to be in order for him not to destroy the cities. He starts out asking if there were 50 righteous people in Sodom, would he destroy the cities? Which the Lord says that he won't destroy it on the account of 50 righteous. Then Abraham saying, Who am I but dust and ashes? Ask about if there was just 45 righteous people, 
Would he destroy the cities? The Lord says that he would not do it for the sake of 45 righteous people. Abraham continues his conversation asking about 40 righteous, 30 righteous, 20 righteous, and then 10 righteous, all to which the Lord said that he would not destroy the cities based on 40, 30, 20, or even 10 righteous people living in Sodom. And with that, the Lord and Abraham went on their ways. As for the other two men that continued their journey, the identity of them were revealed, not so much of who they were, but what they were. The two angels came to Sodom in the evening, and when Lot saw them, he left his seat at the gate to greet them. In ancient culture, the gate was a very important place. They weren't just a place of protection against the incoming enemies, they were also a place of all social, political, and economical activities. It was the place for all business transactions, court cases, public announcements, and also where the rulers of the city met to plan the future as well as plan battle plans against their enemies. At the city gate, there were also a place where the elders of the city would sit. The city gates were very important places, and to have a seat usually meant that the person was a leader in the community. With that, Lot sees the visitors coming into the city in the evening and goes to greet them and offers that they would stay with him at the house for the night. But they refused to stay the night and said that they would stay in the town square. However, Lot strongly insists that they would stay with them. The word strongly here can have ties to that he physically insisted that they would stay with him. This could be due to the fact that Lot knew what would happen to the visitors if they stayed in the open square. Therefore, the angels stayed with Lot, and it happened before the men were to go to bed, all the men of the city, both young and old, surrounded the house. They demanded that Lot would bring out the visitors so that they could have sex with them, in essence, gang rape them. Lot then went out to try to reason with the mob, but not in a way that you would think is the best way to handle a mob. Lot offers his daughters to the mob to be raped, saying that they haven't known any man yet and to do whatever they would like to them, but to leave the men alone because they were under Lot's roof. No one knows why Lot offered his daughters to the mob, although some question if Lot was actually a righteous man. It says in 2 Peter 2, verse 7 and 8, that God rescued Lot because of his righteousness, although he was affected by living in that type of culture. It is interesting how Lot originally chose the Valley of Jordan because of the land for his herds, yet he moved from living in tents to dwelling inside of the city. Others have said that because of a low view that the culture had on women back then could be a possibility of why Lot offered his daughters to the men. In any state, Lot did offer his daughters, but the men of the city were not happy with that and wished to do more harm to Lot than his guests. This is when the two angels step in. Saving Lot from the mob, they pulled him back through the doorway and blinded the men at the door. They then asked Lot if he had anyone else in the city so that he may get them out before the Lord destroyed the city. Lot then went to his sons-in-laws and told them to leave the city because the Lord was about to destroy it to which they thought it was just a joke, not the best time to be joking around. Although this does bring up a question. Lot had two daughters at home who were virgins, yet he also had sons-in-laws too. This may just mean that they were betrothed to be their soon-to-be husbands, or it could mean that Lot had other daughters. The Hebrew words here for son-in-law means that they were already married, not engaged. This would mean that Lot had more than one daughter that would already be married and moved out of the house. 
This brings up another matter. If all the men were outside of Lot's house during the night, his sons-in-laws were outside too. At dawn the next day, the angels urged Lot to hurry up and take his wife and two daughters to flee. But Lot was not getting the clue to move, so the angels took them all by their hands and brought them outside of the city and told them to flee to the mountains and to not look behind or they would be destroyed. However, Lot didn't want to go to the mountains, but asked if they could go to Zoar, which is one of the cities that joined in military alliance against the four kings from the east. The angels granted him and his family this request and told them to hurry because they couldn't do anything until they reached that city. Once they had reached Zoar, after sunrise, almost 30 minutes or so after being woken up by the angels, the heavens opened up. However, Lot's wife looked back and was turned into a pillar of salt. The Bible says that the sin of Sodom and Gomorrah was pride and homosexuality. In Ezekiel 16 verses 49 and 50, it talks about the pride and arrogance that the people of Sodom and Gomorrah had. It also says in Jude 7 that it was because of the people pursuing unnatural sexual desires through homosexuality. Both sins would bring about the destruction of the cities through fire and brimstone. Many scholars have tried to figure out what caused the destruction of the Jordan Valley. For the valley at one point used to be perfect for herds and animals, with plenty of water and being well fertile for planting. This is the original reason that Lot moved there in the first place. However, after the destruction of the valley, it was no longer a place to grow anything. The destruction of the valley is still up for debate, although it is thought to have happened just around 2000 BC. In Genesis 19 verse 24, it says that the Lord rained down fire and brimstone. The brimstone is thought to be sulfur. The word brimstone is an old English word that means burn stone or burning stone. Usually these sulfur stones came from the rims of volcanoes and are extremely flammable. A lot of this type of mineral is found in large quantities around the area that the cities are thought to have been near the Dead Sea. This would mean that a volcano must have had to erupt causing the destruction. Other scholars believe that it wasn't just an eruption that caused the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah, but also an earthquake. The thought is that there is large deposits of bitumen in the region of the Dead Sea. This type of material is thought to have a large amount of sulfur in it. Therefore, when the earthquake happened, it caused the bitumen to be shot up out of the ground being ignited by a spark coming down as a ball of fire. Both of these scenarios can be plausible because the Dead Sea is on a fault line that could have caused a large eruption or earthquake. There is one other thought that may have caused the fire and brimstone. Some scholars believe that it was either a comet, asteroid, or a meteor from outer space. The reason that some believe this to be the cause is that in the Bible it says in Genesis 19 verse 24 that from heaven fire and brimstone was poured out. Also, in verse 28, it says that Abraham saw the whole Jordan Valley smoking like the smoke from a furnace. This could be that when the comet hit the earth, it caused enough energy to be equivalent to that of many hydrogen bombs and caused a mushroom cloud like an atomic bomb. Scholars go on to say that the south part of the Dead Sea is where the crater from the impact of the comet might be, and that sometime during this time of history, the water level in the Dead Sea fell by several hundred feet and there are deposits of a form of calcite that is only found in meteorites. 
This would explain the stones of sulfur that are found to this day in the area. That as the meteor was coming down, it would be falling apart from entering the Earth's atmosphere. Once Lot and his family reached Zoar, his wife looked back at the destruction was turned into a pillar of salt. The word for looked back means more than just a glance over the shoulder. It can mean regard, pay attention, or to turn back to. Some scholars just say that because of her turning back and having regard for the city in the sense that her whole life was destroyed is the reason she died. It could be that because of her hesitation in obeying God or that she was desiring the things of the city so much that it caused her to die by being turned into a pillar of salt. But why a pillar of salt though? That's where other scholars believe that the word to look back actually means that she went back towards the city to see what was going on and that she was caught up in the destruction. The word here for salt is a Hebrew word that means powder or something that is grounded up like salt or dust. Either the impact from the meteor or from the eruption of the volcanoes, it would cause a huge wind blast with superheated grains of dust and salt being shot across the Jordan Valley, destroying everyone and all the plants, as it says in Genesis 19, verse 25. Therefore, when Lot's wife went back to look at the cities, it could be that she got blasted with this wind that had the superheated grains of salt and dust suffocating her and turning her into a pillar of salt once it cooled off. After the destruction of the Jordan Valley, Lot took his two daughters and went into the mountains away from Zoar because he was afraid to dwell there. Once in the mountains, his two daughters realized that no man was going to come for them while living in the cave in the mountains. So the older daughter came up with an idea to preserve the line of their father. The plan was to get their father so drunk that he wouldn't know what was happening and to have sex with them. Not the best ways of preserving the lineage, but that's what they did. On the first night, they got their father so drunk that when the older daughter came in to lay with her father, he did not know when she came in and when she left. The next night, it was the younger daughter's turn. So again, that night they made her father drink so much that he didn't know when she came in and when she left. Both would become pregnant by their father. The firstborn named her son Moab, and the second named her son Benami. They would become the fathers of the Moabites and the people of Ammon. More on them in another episode. This would be the last herd of Lot, which leads us back to Abraham. So join us next time as we look to the 25-year-old promise coming true in Abraham's life as Sarah finally gives birth to their firstborn son. In episode 7, it's all about Isaac. Thanks for listening to the History of the Bible podcast. Go ahead and rate and review it, and for ways to give feedback or to let us know how this podcast has impacted you, check out the links in the show notes. Also, be sure to tell friends and family that you would think enjoy the show. Thanks. Until next time, remember that you are loved, special, and worthwhile.